The Lifestylist, episode 80, featuring Michelle Paradise. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You're listening to part one of two with Michelle Paradise. Ladies and germs, what's poppin'? It's your old pal Luke Story. You can find out everything you need to know about me at a little website called lukestory.com. But more importantly, today's guest is none other than Michelle Paradise, an expert in NLP, hypnosis, and an alternative therapy called Havening, of which I am a massive fan and supporter. Michelle is also my part-time therapist, so she knows a lot about me, things that I will never tell you. (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm pretty forthright on this podcast. But anyway, I met Michelle a few months ago at my Kundalini yoga class at Nine Treasures. Turns out she's had some very deep awakenings as a result of practicing Kundalini, as have I. So we talk about that in this episode. But more than anything, this show today is really about personal development, personal awakening, the spiritual path, and how we can use different tools of communication to heal ourselves and our relationships. So some of the things we talk about in this episode are as follows. Listen up, take notes, get ready. The rocky road of the spiritual seeker. Now it turns out the spiritual path is not all unicorns and rainbows, folks. There are many dark nights of the soul to experience if you really want to wake up. Then how her anorexia actually led to her own personal development and working with other people as a therapist. The dangers of orthorexia and how to treat eating disorders naturally. Then we really dig into the communication piece and the power of nonverbal communication. Check this out. 55% of communication is physiological, 38% is tonality, while only 7% of communication lies in our words. Pretty interesting stuff. And that leads to the reason why texting is such a poor method of communication. Then we talk about the science of homeopathy and how she cured herself of being infertile. Really powerful stuff there. The power of hypnosis for overcoming personal blocks. She is a hypnotist and trust me, she can put your ass under and change things in your brain. It's really cool. Why she believes that no person is broken, but only stuck. I really like that. I love the way that Michelle teaches us in this episode how to use language because language is so powerful. Then we get into her area of expertise, which is NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming. So the history of NLP and how she became a master practitioner and uses it to help people enrich their communication. Why metaphor is so influential in human decision making. Then we talk about the dark side of human persuasion in things like sales and seduction. Turns out a lot of these communication tools are powers that can be used for good or for evil. She, of course, recommends that you don't use them for the latter. What the words are that we should avoid if we want to communicate effectively. And why we should avoid words such as try, should, shouldn't, don't. Some of those words that have negative energy and negative connotations can really stand in the way of our goals. The fact that asking how questions is so much more powerful than asking why questions. 
And we talk about the fact that you can't change other people, but thankfully you can change how you respond to them, which in turn changes the way they respond to you. How relationships are the most powerful tool of spiritual growth. Amen, sister. That has definitely been the case in my life, especially recently. The power of the pause to de-escalate drama. Then we talk about Barack Obama's secret weapon for giving powerful speeches. You're going to be surprised when you find out what that is. How Michelle uses a groundbreaking technique known as havening to help her clients, like me, overcome past trauma and emotional blocks. And why childhood trauma in the first place really causes so many people to become neurotic and to become susceptible to addictions and just general wacky behavior. Check. Guilty is charged on that one as well. Then we talk briefly about M, or sorry, EMDR therapy and how it works to reprogram your brain. And finally, one of my favorite topics of the interview, the science of why hugging is so healing to humans. So this is a really powerful episode. I had to break it into two halves because it was so epic. It's like, I don't know, two and a half hours long or something. So half of it's coming out today on Tuesday. If you're hearing this on Friday, the other half is going to be on a Friday. If you're catching part two, go back and check part one because there's so much rich content in both halves of this interview. So thank you so much for listening. I also want to invite you to check in on Tuesday where I interview my friend Evan Brand, who comes from a podcast that's wildly popular called Not Just Paleo, one of my favorite podcasts. I've learned tons from Evan. He drops amazing amounts of information in another double episode over two hours next week with Evan talking about functional medicine and how we can heal our own bodies and become our own doctors using food and herbs and supplementation. Really cool stuff. So thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this interview with my friend, Michelle Paradise. Our guest, Michelle, has made a gracious offer to you listeners in celebration for her appearance on the show. If you'd like to work with Michelle, go to changeyourmindforgood.com. Just give the name Luke or The Lifestylist, and you will save 20% off your first session with Michelle remotely or in person in Los Angeles. I want to take a minute to remind you to check out Clear Light Saunas. If you go to healwithheat.com, enter the code Luke, you're going to save 450 bucks, get free shipping and a free backrest if you just mention my name, like Hollywood style, just drop my name. Say, yo, I know Luke. I know the guy at the door. He does a little something, something. You know what I mean? Or you can just call them at 800-317-5070. That's healwithheat.com. Use the code Luke. Now, why do I like Clear Light Saunas? Why am I so sprung on this particular company? I'll tell you why. They're low EMF, no chemically treated wood, no paint, no varnish, no glue, no off-gassing. They all come with chromotherapy lighting. They come with a Bluetooth sound system and ceiling speakers. They don't use any manufactured wood, even the places where you don't see the wood. So there's no plywood, veneers, particle board, no funky, weird stuff. They also have a solid wood floor, which is really cool. And there's heaters underneath. So you're getting that infrared heat from underneath your feet on all sides of your legs, all sides of your body. You're surrounded by this amazing healing infrared light. A lot of other saunas have slatted floors, and so like insects, dust, and sweat and crap drops through there, and it's just nasty. So I like the solid wood floor. Another awesome thing about Clear Light is they have a 100% lifetime warranty for the entire sauna and all its components for the life of the original owner. So if you buy one of these units, which start at $24.95, and then you're going to get a big discount if you know me, 
it's covered for as long as you're alive. Now, if you hand it down to your kids, I don't know, you're on your own. <laughs> but as long as you're alive, if you bought the sauna, you're covered. And a lot of these sauna companies, I'm telling you, you got to watch out for. Not only do they have really high EMFs, which means really bad electricity that's firing at you, um, but they also have a really bad lifetime. I'm using air quotes, warranty. And if you read the fine print, it will say the lifetime is defined as seven years or something funky like that. So these guys don't play games. They're a really great company. They're family owned. They're super easy to deal with, super friendly. And again, all you have to do is call them at 800-317-5070 or go to healwithheat.com and use the code Luke and you're going to get straight hooked up. They've got indoor and outdoor units. They're my favorite thing in the world. So you are welcome. Enjoy that. And remember, if you want to learn even more about infrared saunas, you can take a time trip back to episode 24 and you can hear an entire show about just that. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isakapula from this company, and we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com. But wait, I'm going to hook it up. When you get to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code the lifestylist, and save 15% off your order. Michelle Paradise has been in the world of training for over 20 years. After a 20-year international modeling career, she started training models in walking, deportment, and interviewing skills for all the top agencies in London. During that time, she was on seven TV shows as an expert and judge, including Britain's Next Top Model, Make Me a Supermodel, the BBC Clothes Show, and many more. During this time, Michelle also became an international speaker and presented workshops all over the world on topics such as personal growth and presentation skills using her vast training in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, with a mix of her own methodologies. She trained with the co-creator of NLP, Dr. Richard Bandler, and became his training assistant for the past 10 years. Michelle has run presentation skills workshops and has trained politicians, celebrities, and businessmen and women on her courses. She's also presented workshops on personal change for magazines such as Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Prima, and Brides Magazine. For the past five years, Michelle's been doing pro bono work for charities that specialized in disenfranchised youth who were struggling to get into the workforce, teaching them interviewing skills. Although Michelle now lives in LA where she works as a wellness expert with Deepak Chopra, she continues to travel the world presenting to small and large audiences on presentation skills, stress and anxiety management, and personal growth and change. She's currently writing a book on stress and anxiety management with Deepak Chopra writing the foreword. There's also things like generalizations that people make. Like, let's use a teenager, for example, comes, comes in and says to their parents, um, I want to go to this party on Friday night. 
and the parents say, oh, well, I don't know, it's a bit late and it's too far away. And the, and the teenager will say, well, everybody's going. And a response to that could be, everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's going? Everyone in the but, world's yeah, going, exactly. Johnny? Wow. But see, this is what we do. We, we have these sort of uh, great generalizations. They're called universal quantifiers, if you really want to know the term. And it's like, everybody is doing this. So I can do this too, or I want to do this too. And that's ah. when you challenge people and you say, everybody? Well, maybe not everybody. But so you chunk it down. I can just hear relationship argument now. You always forget That's, to do the dishes. Always. It's like, really? I Universal always forget quantify. to do the dishes? Yeah, exactly. And this is the other thing. You mentioned relationships. We get into these hypnotic states with each other in relationships. And I'm sure you're aware of this. I'm not saying you have lots of arguments in your past relationships or present relationships. But if you look back at the arguments, they were always the same argument. They were always the same sort of dynamic between the two of you. It was just a different subject, but it really wasn't that different because we get into this hypnotic state where you, some people call it pushing buttons, you know, and I remember, and this is a really good example of change work that you can do with people. I had a client come to see me, a woman, and they didn't argue very much. It was a sort of fairly new marriage and But what happened was the arguments always ended up in the kitchen. They seemed to always take place in the kitchen. And they would argue about something fairly irrelevant and he would push her buttons and she would cry. And I'm not blaming him. It's just this is the dynamic. So she would cry. And as soon as she cried, that was his exit strategy. He got out of the room. He was like, I can't deal with the crying. I'm going to go watch football or play PlayStation or whatever. So she came to me and said, how can I change this? How can I get a resolution? And I said, don't cry. You change his exit strategy. And she was like, well, how do I do that? And I said, well, what's happening is you and he are in a hypnotic state. You've created this hypnotic state. We're in and out of hypnotic states all day long, by the way. This isn't something that happens in, a, in an office somewhere. Reading a book is a hypnotic state. Driving down the freeway is a hypnotic state. Instagram. Instagram is a hypnotic <laughs> state, right? So... I said, wake up the next time it happens, wake up and be present and say, ah, here we go. We're going down that road. I'm not going to respond. So what happens is she doesn't do what she normally does and the neurochemistry of his brain begins to like flip out a bit. It's like, oh, but it's not conscious. It's an unconscious response. And he's like, uh, she's not crying. I'm not leaving this room. So what it does, it's not magic. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight. But what happens is, he has to stay in the room and stay present in the situation a little bit longer. And that allows them space for resolution and to look at things differently and talk about things differently. And we all need to know this. This happens all the time in all kinds of relationships. It happens with me and my kids. You know, I see myself getting into that hypnotic dynamic with them and I go, uh-uh, wake up, change change your state, change your position, change something. And then you... so. The moral of that is you cannot change anyone else in any situation. You have no control over anyone so else. So unfortunate. Just yourself. <laughs> but you can change the way you respond to them, right. which then changes the response that you get back. And oh. that is the magic. That is where the magic happens. That, say, can you say that again? Yeah. You can change anyone but yourself. Okay. Right? So what you do is you change your behavior to get a different result. And Einstein said it. If you continue to do what you've always done and continue to get the same result, that is the sure road to insanity, okay? So this is waking up, becoming present, and saying, oh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again. 
I'm going to step sideways, take a deep breath, change my neurochemistry, you know, do some havening. That's something we'll, we'll talk about hopefully. And then the other person has to find another way of responding to that. And that is where the magic happens. God, you're so right. Because it's like, for some reason, I just keep going to relationships. And I guess that's really what life is, is life relationships, is a, right? Is I relationships. mean, there's not much more to it. That's it. We're put here with each other to fucking work whatever we got to mm-hmm. work out within ourselves, it seems to me. Otherwise, each God could have created a planet for each of us. Maybe like I would have my own little planet. It's like as big as Santa Monica. And I just lived there by myself, you know, for, for 80 years. <laughs> but he put us all on one planet together because there's some sort of karmic lesson there. So I always go back to like, hmm, how does this play out in relationships? But there's always that like turning point where you're about to say something that could escalate the negative emotions Mm -hmm. between the two of you. And you have that little devil and angel on your shoulder. Like Mm -hmm. I could say this cutting thing right now and just fucking slay them and end this or win or whatever. It's that's the word, the win. And, And then there's that, I think through self-awareness and practice, and for me, largely meditation is being able to be in a witness state some of the time where I see my brain and its dumb ideas and see my ego and its emotional responses and see that inner, you know, human ape that's trying to dominate the world and all that shit. But there's always that moment there just for a second where it's like, you have the awareness that you're about to make things worse and you can use your higher self's will to choose love, to choose patience, to choose forgiveness, to allow yourself to be the one who's quote unquote wrong. Let the person be right. And it's like, there's this magical transmutation of the energy between you and that other person, what you just described, that other person all of a sudden softens and gives you that love back. Yeah. When like in a split second, if I just would have went the other way, doors could be slammed, names could be called, and something really with a beautiful potential could could have ended right there in the and moment. And there goes the communication. Yeah. There is no communication. Yeah. And you've brought up a couple of things, reminded me of a couple of things. First of all, I, I love that expression, which is not mine. Do you want to win or do you want to be happy? Yeah. You know? A course, in, really a course is, in miracles. Would you yeah. rather be right or would you rather be happy? Exactly. That's, that principle changed my life. Me too. I love Marianne. And, and I know she didn't write yeah. it, but I love how she interprets it. Yeah. But the other thing is, the magic of communication in any situation is the pause. That is the word. That is the concept. Because it's the richness of the bit in between that makes the difference. And I'll give you a really, I think this is a great example. Barack Obama was interviewed a while back and someone said to him, you are an amazing orator. You know, you just always seem in control. You don't, you're you're asked a question that you're not prepared for. It's not written down somewhere. And you always have a great calm response to it. And he said, I'll tell you my secret. It's the pause. I'm not super intelligent. I'm not super together, but I pause. And that pause allows me to download the information that I need. It allows me to step back for a second, like the relationship where you have that that moment, that nanosecond or that picosecond to just go, I have a choice right now. I can say that ugly thing, or I can pause and step sideways and do something else, or go forward and give them a hug, maybe not say anything at all. And he said, it makes me look really intelligent, because, you know, I look very erudite as I 
pause, maybe lean and think about it for a moment and then say the answer. That's so good. And that's such a metaphor for life. It, I could have a whole practice where I could just sit with people and say, slow down, slow down. And this is what we really need to do more of is slowing down our thought process before we utter those words that we sometimes can never take back, you know? As that's, I said earlier, you yeah. can't unring that bell sometimes. That's such a good takeaway, the pause. The pause. The yeah. magic is in the pause. Yeah, the magic is in the pause, and so is that intuition, yeah. that inner guidance. You know, well, because, our brains are going like this, and you need that time to download. Yeah. Download what it, to you know, <laughs> to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And also the divine listening of listening to somebody else. I love that phrase. Again, it's not one of my terms, but I've, I've latched onto it, where you listen to somebody without judgment, without formulating what you're about to say as soon as they stop talking, which is what so many of us do. But that absolute divine listening where you don't necessarily agree with them, and this happens a lot in political discussions with families, you know, and it's a great technique to take with you is, I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to look at them and I'm going to engage with them. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to disagree with them or agree with them. I'm just going to listen. And then you can say something like, thank you for sharing that with me. No judgment, nothing. And then it doesn't progress to this really ugly, sometimes what we have on Facebook arguments about politics or with our own families that disagree with us. I think we need to do a little bit more of that. Yeah. The divine listening. Very powerful. Mm. Divine listening. So many good takeaways here. This is amazing. Okay, so I definitely want to get into, because I, I could just go on forever. I forgot to ask you what your heart out was. So if at any point you're like, um, I got to get going, just wave your hand at me and I'll- I'm uh, still good. And I'll wrap it up. Okay, because I like- I go. I'm like, if it's on, which I feel it is, and we're having like we're, good, we're in the flow. good rapport and we're in the zone, <laughs> Like, I just let the, the devices record yeah. and we go. And if okay. it has to be two episodes, we'll me. do it. But I really love, because um, when you were on Neil's show, mm. you didn't get a lot of time to unpack the NLP thing, because it's a shorter format show. It is a shorter format. You know? yeah. And I, when I listened to that, I was like, oh, there's so much good stuff, but I wanted to dive into a bit more Please of ask that. me. I love it. So yeah. One more thing on that that you touched on earlier, and I just had a revelation that it's, again, it's one of those weird things that I just practiced or picked up somehow, but didn't have a correlation to NLP. And then I want to get into the havening stuff, yeah. which is profound and I really want to cover that. But you talked about at the very beginning of the NLP when I was referring to those embedded commands mm-hmm. and using that third person sort of technique yep. to talk to someone. It occurred to me that in the years that I've been in recovery from addiction and alcoholism and I've worked with a lot of people, primarily younger guys uh, that you know I was a little bit further ahead of in terms of being sober and all of that and kind of doing um, counseling and mentoring and things like that. Alcoholics are notorious for just having these just huge ego identification, you know, whether it's on the inferior shameful side or if it's on the defiant, rebellious, egotistical, I'm not going to listen to anyone's side, but it's, it's very difficult to get a spiritual message and spiritual principles and power through to an alcoholic because the ego block is so massive and they're really oftentimes just very bullheaded and just defiant and full of preconceived ideas and they don't want to listen to anyone and they're the rebels and the outliers and all that stuff. And that's how I was. And something that was used on me a lot by my mentors is this thing where they couldn't talk to me directly about my behavior Mm -hmm. or things that I needed to address. So they would like sort of talk about someone else that we know. 
in a way that was non-threatening to me. And then I would sort of be sitting there like, shit, are they reading my mind? This is the stuff that I'm doing or feelings or thoughts that are going on for me. And it was like a back door into my subconscious or into my true self or my higher self. It's sort of like subjugating the ego Mm -hmm. by rather than just directly saying, Michelle, you know what? You have a really bad attitude and sometimes you behave selfishly and do this and that. But I could go, Michelle, you know, Mary... Have you ever noticed that sometimes she really only thinks about herself and she's very cunning and this and that, you know? And it's like, you're going to be hearing the story about Mary, but really what I'm doing is telling a story about you, Michelle. Absolutely. Is that That in alignment with that? That is a classic. Because I I never thought of that as an LP. To me, it's just, it's like a technique that I developed to sneak in the back door of someone's mind, not with the purpose of selling them anything or using them for anything, but really wholeheartedly, unconditionally, lovingly helping them to overcome their problems with drugs or alcohol. And you understand it better than you know, because you said you didn't realize, but you do. And I mentioned it a bit earlier when you were talking about the game and how in that guys would tell stories and put commands in, embedded commands. And I I, I mentioned that, and this is exactly what's happening, the brain doesn't like the confrontation of, you did that wrong. You are whatever, whatever. And I'm not going to anchor any of this stuff because that's not a good thing. So what... What the brain loves is storytelling about somebody else. And what goes on in that, we call it metaphor, what goes on in that metaphorical storytelling, because there is a message obviously in there for you, whoever you are, is that the brain does something, I'm going to use a big phrase here, it's called a trans-derivational search, and that's an NLP term. So what it's doing is, and you described it beautifully, you're sitting there listening to the story about Mary and you're beginning to resonate with some yeah, of what's yeah. going on, right? Yeah. Or the other thing you're doing is, well, if I was her, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it that way, yeah? And then you're getting the real message of the story is how can I achieve whatever that is or how can I get unstuck from that situation and choose a different path? So you are digging down in this trans-derivational search into your own feelings about it and you're going, if I was Mary, I would... This happens a lot with... um, I don't know if it relates to the friend that you mentioned earlier, but when a friend calls you up or comes over and says, I'm having relationship problems... Isn't it so clear to you what they need to do? But when, oh you're, my God. when you're in your own relationship problems, it is not clear at all, right? <laughs> you just described like every person I've ever mentored or coached. There it's you like, go. I don't even need, to, and I'm not, this might come off as like sounding arrogant, but I literally don't even need to hear what the problem is. Mm. I already know what the solution is exactly. in two minutes. They're like, blah, blah, blah happened. I'm like, all right, I don't need to hear the rest. Here's what you need to do. But this would, could be another way of but doing it. it's so it. hard to like, look at my own stupid problems and apply that same degree of wisdom. Okay. But, but a nice thing to do with somebody like that, I'm imagining they're sitting over there, is say, John, you know what? I have a friend named Bill, and he had exactly the same problem. And this is what happened. And then you tell the story, and you unpack it for John using Bill. And in NLP, a lot of these people never exist, by the way. We use these, you know, we create a hero story where, and this is the outcome, and this is what happened, and this is how he, he got to a better place or got unstuck from a situation that he was stuck in. So John is sitting there going, wow, Bill has real problems, right? Not realizing that you're telling the story of him, but it's much easier for him to digest because you're not being comfortable, like, you should do that and you should do this because people resist. It's, it goes back to shoulds. 
it goes back to being didactic and authoritarian and and also, you know what happens, and I'm sure you've experienced this, if John comes to you and John is dating Mary and then you start bad-mouthing Mary and then they get back together, right? It's like, you don't like Mary, do you? You never really liked Mary. And then suddenly you have this other obstacle between you. But if you take third-person metaphor story about Bill and Sue, right, and you're not really talking about Mary, but you're using the example of the dynamic between the two of them and what they did and what Mary could have done or Sue could have done that Mary could do, right? But you're still not, you're, it's not accusatory in any way. It's just a story. And then John takes what he needs from that. He will find what he needs from that story to take away with him. And no harm is done. You're still talking to each other. You haven't thrown Mary under the bus, right? And it's a win-win situation. That's, that's and funny. that's the beauty of metaphor. It's funny, though, in that example, one could say, well, you're making up this story. You're lying to the person, you know, like from an ethical or moral them. place. You're really helping but them. But doesn't, don't these situations depend on the intention? Absolutely. Like if my intention is Thank to you empty your pockets yeah. and get you to buy my fucking online program or mm-hmm. whatever... And I'm using a metaphor slash white lie or a little yeah. made up Which parable. people do. They use NLP for that. Right, Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's so, out there. I guess it, a lot of it depends on the intention. Right? It is It's like when, when, the, anything. when your girlfriend says, you know, does this dress make me look fat? And it's like, that would be a good time to lie because she really doesn't want to hear the truth that, yeah, you know what? It actually does make you look a little wider. Uh, you know, it's like wrong answer. Yeah. No, you look beautiful no matter what you're wearing. or whatever your, yeah. you know, your because true you answer is. Because you actually want to be with the person that's inside the dress, right? Yeah, yeah, Not exactly. the dress, so it exactly. doesn't matter. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you want to be able to go out with her and come home with her and not piss her off because she's in a dress that you may not think looks that great. It doesn't matter. I think I'm it? just like, I'm such a stickler for integrity and honesty because in my yeah. early life, I was a thief. I was a pathological liar. I was extremely selfish and self-centered. I mean, I won't say I was a bad person. I was just, I was a hurt person and that's how I responded yeah. to it was just like living for myself and myself only. And it didn't have good results for me or people that I cared about and had relationships with. So now it's like one of those things that I really, really work on is just having integrity and being super honest. I so completely agree with that. In a situation like that, I'm like, God, I don't know. I struggle with that because it's not true. But you're not telling you know? a lie. What you're doing is you are enabling John, who was sitting over there on that sofa, to search within himself to find the solution. You're not giving right. him the solution. You're being of service is what you're doing. Absolutely. I and mean, and I think this is like, I mentioned the Bible earlier, and I think that's why as a kid, I didn't have a lot of exposure to organized religion. Yeah. But when I did, I was like, oh, really? You parted the Red Sea or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, Moses. Yeah. Good Some job. of those metaphors are a bit too out you, there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I was like, this is bullshit. So therefore, I threw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. ignoring some of the really beautiful spiritual principles that I actually apply today, some of them biblical and some of them otherwise. But the metaphors are tricky because it's like, if someone's very critically minded, it's easy for them to go, oh no, that doesn't make sense. That's illogical. That's bullshit. Therefore, I'm not going to take any of the value inherent to that Mm -hmm. metaphor. Yeah. And you said something that is so important and I really want to highlight this. It is all about intention. When I sit with a client or sit with a friend that I am going to be of service to, It is absolutely 100% about intention. And I literally say to my client, if it's appropriate, which it usually is, what is your desired outcome for this session? 
I think I said that to you. I'm pretty sure I said yeah. that to you. Yeah. Because it's not about me. Yeah, you did ask me that. I am I was client-centered. Like, <laughs> I remember it is about being like, you. Der, um. <laughs> But you did a trans-derivational search, whether you realize right. it or not, and you were searching around, and then there's all the eye patterns and things that we're trained to. That's another part of eye accessing cues, which is a whole other area, uh, which were trained in NLP to calibrate people physiologically. And that's why going back to Moravian and the 55% of communication is physiological. So what, how that works in NLP, which is so beautiful, is you can't really lie to me. Your words can say one thing to me, but I'm watching your body. I'm watching how you're breathing. I'm watching your skin tone. I'm watching... You know, because people will actually use their hands and show me. Yeah, I, f- I feel this really strong, you know, and they're showing me how big it is, where mm. it is. Sometimes it's up here, sometimes here. And that's where I know where to go with them because they are non-verbally communicating with me. And that is what I love about NLP is that it's not the words. It is their tonality and their physiology. And their words can lie to me or try to send me down a different road but I will always get back on the right path because I'm watching them. I'm calibrating them. So you're more reading the message behind the words. Yeah. I used to to have a friend that would say, he said, Luke, he said, uh, what did he say? He said, um, the music isn't in the notes, man. <laughs> you there know? you go. It's like the music is in the music. It's in the soul and the heart of the music. That's what you're responding to is, I guess you could say the energy. Yeah. And that's it, right? the other point I wanted to make about NLP. We're always trained, uh, Good trainers train NLP practitioners to be in an upstate. We call it an upstate, not upstate New York, but an upstate of of state. Because state is so important in NLP at all. So I work with a lot of people to help them change their state from something that might be very low to a very high resonance. And it's the same for me. So if I walked into a session and sat down and went, hey, look, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) That has meaning to you. Good acting. Yeah. I'm a frustrated <laughs> actress. I know. So I go into a session in the state that I want to take you to based on, because I do intake questionnaires and pre-phone calls and things. So I know an awful lot about the person before they come in. I don't want to waste time in session with that. So I'm in a very upstate when they come in. And a lot of people feed this back to me and say, your energy is like, and I was like, yeah, well, I don't tell them why, but that is why, because I, my job, my role is to guide them to the place where they want to go. And the best way to do that is physiologically, with my tonality and my physiology and my energy. And that's, you just use that word, you just use that term. And it is, this is all energy work. But we, as you and I know, the whole world is energy. You know, we don't make this up. Quantum mechanics yeah. proves this, you know, it's, we're all energy. And how, you know, it's this, illusion that we have here in the material world that's it's so hypnotic it's so easy to forget that absolutely we're not actually separate bags of skin and bones like there we don't even exist on this level no. neither these chairs this table these cameras it's all just swirling electrons yeah. <laughs> not vibrating this is solid yeah vibrating at different solid, speeds right? and i love that I and love there's it. some intelligent force or power that's keeping all this stuff shaking and buzzing so that it looks like it looks to us and mm-hmm. our souls can come here and have this material tactile physical experience but it actually is not real well, I but re- try to remember that shit when you get audited by the IRS mm-hmm. or you're in divorce court. 
<laughs> or in a fight with your girlfriend, or the check didn't come ad infinitum. Those issues. It all were, looks solid. It looks it? very real. <laughs> it's like God, how can I stay in that transcendent place all the time? Well, I've I have the distinct pleasure to be working with Deepak Chopra at the moment. I was gonna, we're I'm, I'm a wellness go into expert that. with him. Which sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but I yes. I want to bring this in uh, only because I really align to his message, and it's a practice for me. I'm not there. I'm really not there. I'm not. I'm not vibrating at the on the plane that he's vibrating. But I just recently saw him. Uh, I went to UCLA. They, there was a mind consciousness and can't remember the rest of it. Well being, and he did. You know something we've all seen, but it's really worth mentioning again. He like he put his hand up and he said, "So what is this?" And you know people shouted out hand, and he said according to who, which is another great NLP question, according to who. And he went on to say, you know, it's a human construct. And all of this is a human construct. We've given all of the, you know, who says this is a chair? Who was the person that decided to call this a chair? And what makes it a chair? It's just compressed atoms that have this shape, and it's a very beautiful chair. And this is, but it, is this really a hand? You know, so we construct all of these things. And we don't allow the en- to, to vibrate on an energetic level. Of that we are all connected, and it doesn't matter what we call these things. And if somebody doesn't believe in that and they think this is bullshit, if you're listening to this and you're a scientifically minded person, have you ever walked in a room and felt bad vibes? Oh, what is that? That's that's a lot. negative vibrations. Yeah. Literally, that energy yeah. is vibrating in a state of negativity that yeah. you can feel, even if you don't believe in any religion, woo woo, spirituality, new age, mm-hmm. anything. It's like you know when there's evil mojo in the room. Well, a a (laughs) great example I like to use is, do you ever meet a really beautiful woman and you're like really into her and then she starts talking and (laughs) the the energy just goes down and I'm I'm not commenting on, it's just that sometimes people aren't congruent to what they look like, let's say. And then you'll meet a person that you might not initially be attracted to, let's say a, a woman that you're not initially attracted to, but you get to know her and this energy just comes out of her and she exudes this amazing magnetic energy and her, she becomes beautiful right before your eyes. Same with men and women and children. You know, it's just, that's what I love about people is tapping into that energy. And that for me is when I know whether I'm in or out. It's based on the energy. Yeah. And I now have a choice as we all do, but I've learned that I now have a choice to exclude the energy vampires in my life. Oh, isn't that a beautiful thing? It is. Oh, my God. It's just so freeing. Take out the trash, girl. Yes. Like, that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds a little judgmental, but yeah. I mean, isn't well, that... it's, it's for you. It's based on what your needs are. It's not judging them, you know, based on the rest of the world. It's just what your needs are. And I say this to my clients. I say, you know, sit down and write down all the friends in your life. And, you know, the pros and cons, not like they give me this, but you know, what do they bring to the friendship? What do you bring to the friendship? Is this good for you? Because we outgrow people. There's that beautiful poem, which I, I won't say the whole one, but the title of it is A Reason, A Season, A Lifetime. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar no, with that. And we'll put a link to it on your page. And it's about how people come into our lives for a reason, which can be very quick. and very. It could be just like a passing them on the street and having a quick communication with them, or they can stay longer, or a season, whatever that means to you, or a lifetime. And once you know that, and this this poem is really beautiful how it explains it, once you know that, it's very freeing, because it's like, not everybody is meant to be in our lives for all of our lives. 
they have a message for us and maybe we have a message for them. And once, once we do that, once that communication has happened, it's okay to let go and not to grieve it or mourn over it and say, I don't have 3,000 friends like I used to have. I only have five. God, you really only need five. Well, five is a big commitment. <laughs> if you're is. a really good friend, yeah. and I consider a really good friend as somebody that can call me up at two o'clock in the morning and I'll be there for them yeah. and vice versa. I won't. My phone's on airplane, but yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's my definition. Yeah, of no, totally. I'm just, I'm just But I don't playing. want 3,000 friends that can call me at two o'clock in the morning and then I have totally. to go there for them. I mean, I've lived in LA for 28 years and there's probably three or 400 people in my immediate, in my phone that. Yeah. I know, and I would consider them friends, but I really only stay in daily contact with probably three or four yeah, people. They fit your hand, right? Yeah. And that's, I'm good. Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90 day lifestyle design coaching program, where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15 minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. It's a big commitment to be a friend to somebody, a really true friend to someone. Yeah. And that's a give and take situation. You know what the definition of a true friend is? I want to hear it. Okay. A friend will help you move. Mm-hmm. A true friend will help you move a body. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I've, I'm going to commit that one to memory now. One of my favorites. Yeah. But yeah, the friend is like, we'll help you move, drive you to LAX. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, those are the ride or die friends. Okay. Yeah. So I want to get into now the havening piece because yeah. we, we've been going for a while. And as I said, I could go on forever, but this is like, this is the secret sauce. And it is. You know, we met through your mutual friends and I saw you at yoga. We had a chat and you're working with Deepak Chopra, which is fantastic. I want to hear about that. But when I came in to see you for a session, and thank you again for that. Thank you for coming. It was like, did my intake forms and stuff, standard stuff, yeah. you know, talk about some trauma. I've had a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of different modalities in terms of healing and spirituality and looked at my past and all that. So it was not like a big revelation doing the intake. But when I got there and the experience that I had was very profound and something that I want to continue to do. And it was an incorporation, as I understand it, of some NLP, some hypnosis, and then really the havening technique. And so I want you to just be able to just unpack that whole thing for people now that are unfamiliar with that because it's the best thing ever. I'm really into it. Thank you. I call it my havening sandwich. So I start with NLP metamodel questions, which I lovingly call my archaeological dig, right? So those, those are great questions to find out about your past. And I just want to put a little uh, caveat here. I can work with people content-free, so I actually don't even need to know about their past. 
if it's too painful for them to go back to. But I'll, I'll sort of come back to that. But I'll do this, this sort of standard model. So I get through the intake questionnaire and probably maybe a, I offer people a 20-minute free telephone consult beforehand. And I've got a lot of information about them. I'm looking at their language patterns. I'm giving away all my secrets here and how they talk about themselves. So by the time they come to me, I get the face-to-face with them. And then I do my archaeological dig. And that's when I'm doing the calibration physiologically. So they can't really pretend. I won't say lie because people aren't lying on purpose. They're just sometimes not comfortable with telling me what they really need to tell me. So then I very quickly get, well, sometimes that'll, the first session is 90 minutes. That could take 60 minutes of the session because what this is all about is people never, like almost never present with the issue. They present with the symptoms that have been born out of the issue, Right. So let's say somebody is an addict. That isn't the issue. That is a symptom of something that happened a long time ago. Let me tell you, sister, you're so right. I've, and it's I've worked suffering. with hundreds of alcoholics mm-hmm. and addicts, and like myself, they all walk in the doors of recovery thinking yep. that if they just get the monkey off their back, they're going to be fucking cool. And it is a rude awakening to discover that that was, in fact, always a symptom. Yeah. Whatever the, the addiction is a symptom. Yeah, absolutely. It is I love not, that. It is not the issue. Unfortunately, I wish it was because then I could have just quit drinking and lived happily ever after. I quit yeah. drinking and it was like, oh shit. Now I got I gotta, more to do, right? Now I have to deal with all of the motives of my drinking. So yeah. carry on. Yeah. So I quickly or longly sometimes get to where we really need to go. And I'll give an example in a minute because this will solidify it. And then the next piece is havening, which is the havening technique, which I will sort of demonstrate with my hand in another way. And then I, um, they're in a delta wave state, which is a very, very deep relaxed state. So it's, the, it's the deep sleep state and the healing state that we experience when we're asleep. And they're semi-conscious. So it's pretty hypnotic already. So what I do is then I easily segue into the hypnosis or the hypnotherapeutic side of it. And I, I prefer to call that future pacing. So as I said earlier, um, the past is over. And thank God it is for a lot of the people I deal with because they've had very traumatic events. So we quickly go through the past. We're in the present. We haven out the traumatic event. And then we look to the future and build them a better future. So the, the sort of subtitle of havening is healing, empowerment, and growth. So the healing piece is important. Then you empower the client and then you grow them and then they're gone. My, my therapeutic model is maximum 12 sessions. It's quite a quick therapeutic intervention. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, interesting. It's very quick. And I, I can get shifts with people, very profound shifts in one session. That doesn't mean that they're done, but that means that they're, they're on a different road and to healing. So uh, what is havening and, and why is it important and how does it work? I'm going to use a hand model here. And this is your brain. So this is the spinal column. So this is the brain, right? And imagine your sort of eyes were here. So this is the front of the brain. And I will explain it so it all makes sense. So let's say right here on the bottom right of the palm of my right hand, for those of the people that can't see, um, that's the reptilian brain, okay? And that is the brain. It's the life support brain. It is keeps us alive. If you're in a car accident, you're in shock, you've had a stroke, your heart still beats, your lungs still pump, and it keeps you alive. Um, Not a lot of emotion here, just life support. If I open this up, this hand, and in the middle of, um, 
here is the limbic system. This is where the emotions are. And in the center of that, which will be represented by my thumbnail, is the amygdala. I'm not going to test anybody on this, but it's just really interesting to know this. We understand what trauma can do to us and how it affects the brain. So the amygdala is like an almond-shaped part of the brain. And this is where, when we have had a traumatic experience, this is where we experience fight flight, freeze. And I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a couple other ones called fornicate and food or feet. Okay. These are other coping strategies that people use. Won't go into I, too much I detail. I know them with all them. well. Yes. So when the brain is healthy and resilient, this is the cortex of the brain here. And this is specifically the prefrontal cortex. And this is really important because The healthy brain is closed like this, and the prefrontal cortex is where we sort of our logic and decision and judgment and behavior lives. So when we're resilient and the brain is happy and everything is going well, the prefrontal cortex is processing things very well. However, if there is trauma, a traumatic event that is now stored in the amygdala, and let's Uh, Probably a good example, let's use a dog, okay? So let's say you're walking through a park or an open space and a dog comes charging at you and you think the dog is going to bite you. And you've never had an experience like this before, but there in that split second, you feel threatened. So the amygdala is, you're going to have this, uh, we are electrochemical beings. So that is an external stimulus that is going to release then a chemical reaction. And in that situation, it would be something like adrenaline or cortisol. Fast pumping heart, sweaty palms, maybe having a sort of you know dry throat kind of thing. So what happens is the prefrontal cortex kind of blows up. It flips its lid, literally flips its lid. And the amygdala like lights up red. It's like, you know, panic stations. And the dog goes, let's say the dog goes away and nothing happens. So the prefrontal cortex comes back down to its resting position. But you have now encoded a traumatic event in the amygdala. It seems quite small because uh, traumatic events don't have to be big like earthquakes or car accidents. Or th- they're also traumatic events. But for that person, it had meaning to them. They were fearful of the dog. So what happens is it begins to change. If it's not cleared up and the brain at that time, the landscape of the brain is vulnerable and I'll get to that in a minute um, because I have to sort of unpack all these pieces. But if let's say the, go with me for a minute, if the brain, the landscape is vulnerable, then this gets encoded and it kind of gets stuck. So the next time they go out into a park or they see a dog walking towards them, it will probably activate the amygdala and light it up red Again, it doesn't literally light up red, but I'm using this as explanation. And the prefrontal cortex will pop open and you kind of blow your lid. So what happens is our behavior and our judgment changes. We sometimes don't respond to it well. And if we use addiction as an example, um, when we have stored some sort of traumatic event, and a lot of these traumatic events happen in childhood, by the way, adverse childhood experiences, sort of between the ages of zero and seven, zero to 10. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we now know through research that, um, and Dr. Gabor Mate does a lot of work around this, who I really respect. And he, they say that uh, 75% of people that have experienced adverse childhood experiences like bullying, sexual molestation, um, 
severe humiliation for whatever reason, they can easily become or they can become addicted to something. And it's not just substances. It can be Facebook. It can be shopping. It can be sex, whatever. So what happens is we're sort of numbing the suffering by using the thing that gives us that dopamine download. And I hope everybody's still with me. I know I'm sort of going around various parts. So I'm totally with you, by the way. I relate yeah. to everything, including literally the dog story. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, like, good. Yeah. And, the, and the childhood trauma as well. So yeah. let's say you've had a childhood trauma and it happened at the age of five and it was never dealt with. And wow. You're guessing all the... Yeah, yeah all I'm, the I'm a bit of a witch. <laughs> I you know was that five, yes. So you might choose later in life when that pops up to do something that is not good for you, like drinking too much or doing too many substances, right? Because the prefrontal cortex is kind of flipped up and not making good decisions. And you might know that drinking or whatever your choice of of addiction is, isn't good for you. But at the time when that's lit up, it you're not thinking very clearly. You're not running great behavior. So what is havening and how does it impact on this? Havening has a, a few different um, different names, and one of them is, and I'm going to use the medical term here, it's called amygdala depotentiation therapy. I'm not going to quiz anybody on that, but what that means is the stored traumatic event that is now living in the amygdala is, is sort of coded or encoded in the amygdala is stuck, and it will keep doing this throughout your life. And it could get worse, and you can make worse decisions for yourself or other people. And what havening does is delinks and decodes that traumatic event and all of the residual effects from it, the memories and the behavior, from the amygdala so that you can have a different result in your life. And so people are probably now saying, well, what is havening? Havening is a psychosensory therapy. And up to now, we've had two pillars of therapeutic intervention. We've had the talking therapies, psychotherapies, and things like that. And we've had psychopharmacology, which is medication, which changes the chemistry of the brain, uh, serotonin, SSRIs, things like that, benzos, all of those. So those have been the two pillars. So the first one is, let us say, it's the mind therapy. And the second is the body therapy. This is the third pillar, which is the mind body therapy. And it's a psychosensory therapy. And some other psychosensory, not therapies, but things that would fall in that category would be yoga. Yoga is a great mind body connection that changes the neurochemistry of the brain that gets us to a calmer place. Other psychosensory therapies are TFT, thought field therapy, EMDR, um, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, there's a mouthful, and uh, havening obviously falls into that. And the beauty of this is that we now know that when we join up the mind and body, we get a much more powerful, positive outcome in a therapeutic situation. And this is what it looks like. It is something you can do to yourself uh, or something that you can have facilitated. And I am what is called a facilitator. And it is stroking the face as if you're putting on moisturizer or sun cream or something like that. And I'll explain why this is important. Stroking the shoulders to the elbows and coming back in a circular motion and stroking the hands like this. Now, 
a lot of people look at this and go, but that's like so simple, it can't possibly work. This is neuroscientifically based and it's been around for about 17 years. And the doctors that created it, who live on the East Coast of the United States, Doctors Rudin, they did a lot of research on it and tested it, used it on war veterans who have really high, you know, problems like PTSD, TBI, uh, hypervigilance, you know, a litany of things that they have to deal with coming back from a war zone. And the results were amazing. We, we, they got very good results. So they started, in 2013, they started training practitioners like myself. And what this does is these three parts of the body, when they are stroked in this way, release delta waves. And this has now been measured. So we know this is a fact. And this part of the body, let's say, releases about 80 to 90% of delta waves. This is about, let's say, uh, 60 to 70%. And this is about 30 to 40%. I'm sort of, this is loosely um, correct in the statistics. Now, EMDR, which has up to now been one of the most successful traumatic therapeutic interventions, releases 8 to 9%. It's sort of eye movement like this. And I'm not saying it's not a great therapy because it is a very good therapy and it's very appropriate for some people. However, I like this personally because this is quick. And I like quick. I like to move people quickly to a better place. Um, havening, the word, is the transitive verb, which I'm sure a lot of you have now worked out, for haven, which means safe place. So what we're literally doing is putting a person in a safe place by doing this psychosensory stroking so that then we can activate the stuck traumatic event in the amygdala and de-link and decode it. And the way it works, um, and we're in Hollywood, so I'll use this metaphor, is it's as if when it was encoded in the amygdala, you're living it every day. You're in the film. You're the leading man or leading lady of your traumatic event, right? Post-havening, you're sitting in the audience looking at the film. And it's as if it's about somebody else. And what happens... 99.9% .9 of the time when I work with a client and I take them back to remembering the traumatic event, they sort of look around a lot and they go, I can't really see it. It's sort of blurred and it's out of focus, which is exactly what we're looking for. So your viewers, listeners might be thinking, well, how does this work? So this is how it works. I do a lot of pre-session stuff. I have them now sitting in front of me. Um, they might be talking to me and something might get activated. And I can see that because they physiologically will change. They might start crying. They might start changing their breathing. Uh, I will then go in and I come close to them with their permission and I haven them. I sort of sit to the side of them and I haven them. Now, if they don't want to be touched, if they don't want to be havened, they can haven themselves. And there's something called mirror havening where I will haven myself and they will match me. And this is something I do on Skype, so I can actually work with people on Skype anywhere in the world. And what they're doing is they're beginning to go into a delta wave state. So they're beginning to feel really safe. And I'm talking to them whilst I'm havening them. And I'm saying, I'm using a lot of NLP language, like now that you are in. So it's not about when you go in, it's you are already there. So I'm really getting them quickly into the state that I want to get them into, which is for their benefit. And I start havening them. And there's three distraction techniques that are embedded in event havening, which is the one I'm talking about. So one is, you may remember in your session, counting. 
So I may get them to walk down steps or walk through a field of flowers and pick 30 flowers and count them, or as I say, walk down 20 steps. And what they do is they sit there with their eyes closed and they go 20, 19, 18. And whilst they're doing that, I'm making suggestions that with each step that they take, they are moving further and further away from this event that happened. You know, and I don't anchor that event very much. I don't talk about it very much. It's quite ambiguous. And as I said, I can work with somebody completely content-free where it's too difficult for them to talk about it, so I just get them to activate it. I did miss a point. We measure it on a SUD scale, which is a subjective unit of distress. So zero is they have no activation, and 10 is very high activation. So before we actually start the havening, I will get them activated or they are activated and they'll say, it's a 10. And I need to know that because as we move through the process, I can measure where we are. And the objective is to bring it down. So I will do um, the counting with them. That's the first distraction. The second distraction is I will get them to follow my fingers, which is a bit of EMDR. It's a lateral eye movement. And the third is to get them to hum a song. Uh, like a nursery rhyme or a pop song. And I remember one guy, I said to him, and he sang beautifully. <laughs> it was like we were an American Idol or something, which I thought was great. It doesn't matter, but it, these, these distraction techniques are very important to the whole, whole process of moving you away from the encoded traumatic event. Then I go and measure it. So I say, so where are we now? When you think back at that... Um, that event, what number has it come down to? And they'll say a five. So we might do it two or three more times. We get quite low. If I feel that they're stuck, which sometimes they are, we do something called transpirational havening where they do the havening and they, I will haven them and they will say a word that represents something that's left over from that. And a lot of times the word is shame. It's a big one, you know? And so I will haven them. Mine. Yeah. yeah. It comes up so much. Yeah. And they will just completely, repeatedly say, shame, shame. And I want them to link it up. And I think that's what you did. You link it up to any situation where you felt that shame. And it's called transpiration because it's like imagine you have a big oak tree and the, the emotions, the negative emotions are in the root. So what we're doing is shimming them up through the trunk of the tree, out onto the branches, out onto the leaves, and they transpire and evaporate and disappear. And it actually does work like that. There are several other ways I can work with a person. I can help them change the outcome of the encoded event. It's called outcome havening. So what I love about the brain, because there's something called neuroplasticity that is like one of my favorite concepts and favorite words, is that whatever we learn, we can unlearn because we're only born with two encoded fears, which is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That is hardwired at birth. And you're saying we can, we're neuroplastic With, enough absolutely. that we can undo those other fears, absolutely. like my fear of dogs because I was bitten yeah. when I was a kid? Yeah. So, exactly. So, when I, work, it, when I work with you on that, the next time I see you, we will specifically do event havening on that situation with a dog so that you can then, and there's another part called affirmational havening, and you may remember that. I'm sure we did some. So that's when the person is havened or self-havens, and they say, I am. So it's an affirmation. It's I've been doing that myself, that's, on myself. That's the real like medicine If I'm here. experiencing some uh, anxiety, I'll yeah. say, like, I am happy. I am, I am calm. Happy. I am, I am centered. calm, yeah. And yeah. something I want to share with people, because, you know, I know that when I first heard this, I was very skeptical, because I am a skeptic. I, I, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I, I like... 
I like a little bit of proof. I, I'm a bit woo-woo, but I also like a little bit of proof. I like the mixture of science Same and here. magic. Totally. You know? That's good. That's well put. Yeah, yeah I like science, science and magic. magic. Yeah. My perfect combination. Yeah. So I tested it because I thought, yeah, right, this doesn't really work that well. Um, and I have low blood pressure. I'm usually like 90 over 60, which is fine with me. And I had some really hard news. And I knew my blood pressure had gone up. And I happened to have a digital blood pressure cuff because I check myself from time to time. I'm not OCD or anything. But I popped it on and I was like 172 over 102, which is for me, it was like, well, for anybody, it's pretty high. So I thought, I'm going to test this self-havening, this affirmational havening and see if it works. Took the cuff off, did about seven to 10 minutes of... I am calm, I am cool, I am relaxed. Popped the cuff back on, and I was about, I was about down to about 128 over 90 wow. in seven to 10 minutes. Wow. And I was really impressed with that. And what I want to add to that, and this is, this is the real magic of it. I know it's not magic, but for me, it's the magic. What the doctors noticed about people is that they do basically three things when they're stressed out. And this is what I find so exciting about the body. The body is always looking to heal, right? If you break your arm, your arm will heal with no medical intervention. It might not heal beautifully straight or with full mobility, but it will heal because the body is always looking to heal itself. The same thing with, with when, we are, when we are freaked out or stressed about something. People do three things. They put their head in their hands. You've seen this a lot. You know, like they, I can't do it with a microphone, but they, you know, they sort of massage their temples or whatever. Or sometimes you see maybe in a psychiatric ward, you know, seriously, people will be hugging themselves and rocking. Or the third thing they do is kind of wring their hands or pop their, their knuckles or things like that. So they looked at this and thought, these are the three places that a person goes to. But it's not obviously very efficient because we're not always getting the, the real healing outcome that we want from it. And then, this is magic. I was at a, an actor's studio a couple months ago presenting havening techniques to this audience. And there was this woman in the audience. And she was a skeptic like I used to be. And I could tell that we got to the Q&A and she was sitting there, arms folded and just waiting for the Q&A. And she raised her hand and she said, she didn't actually have a question. It was more of a statement. She said, I heard about this evening and I came along and I did a lot of research online and I couldn't find too much out about it, but I researched you and you looked quite, you know, valid. So I thought I would come along. And she said, um, there's something I want to share with you. And this was the gold dust. She said, I'm, I was an RN, registered nurse for 35 years. And one of my specialities was micro preemies. I didn't even know the term. These are like super premature babies. And 10 years ago, they probably didn't even survive. And she said they, they do three things to self-soothe. And the three things they do is they hold their face in their hands, they hug themselves, and they clasp their hands together. And there it was. You know, that for me was just the magic of it. Because she was explaining to me that this is hardwired at birth. And the healing touch is hardwired at birth. Because what happens is the baby comes out and the baby hopefully cries, because we, we want that. And when the baby cries, the mother downloads oxytocin, which is this beautiful chemical, this very positive, happy chemical, and holds the baby, and then the baby releases the oxytocin. And there is the connection 
between the mother and child. And I remember when, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but my son was very young, about seven years old. He used to lie on the sofa or I'd be reading him a story and he'd say, stroke my arm, mummy. He's British. So he said, mummy. And uh, I would stroke his arm and he would just really melt, just, just relax, totally relax. I didn't understand what that meant at the time, but now I get it. It puts a person into a delta wave state. It releases delta waves and it's a very deep healing state and a state that makes them feel really safe. And what do people want when they're upset? A hug. Isn't a hug just the most beautiful nonverbal communication that you can have with somebody? And we now know that that releases all these happy chemicals, all these positive neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. So what is the point of havening? It is to change the neurochemistry of the person's memory around that negative traumatic event and to get them into a better place so that they can release whatever is holding them back with that memory. And perhaps it has caused them to uh, run some really negative, harmful behaviors like addiction to certain things. So it is the beginning of the road. I'm not saying that addiction is cured overnight, but it is the beginning of getting onto them onto that road of, as you said earlier, so elegantly is that, you know, you thought, oh, here I am doing 12 steps and it's all done. But then I knew I needed to really get to the sort of nub of what it was, to the core. And I'm all about the core. Yeah. I don't treat the symptoms. Yeah. I don't treat PTSD. I can't even say that. I can't even use those terms because I'm not a California uh, mental health care professional. However, I get really good results working with people like that because I don't treat the symptoms. I am laser focused on what started this behavior. And I'll tell you a really quick story that illustrates it beautifully. A guy came to me, we'll call him Johnny, and he said, I am up for a job promotion and I need to speak publicly and I am absolutely terrified. Because I don't know if you know this, 70% of the Western world have a phobia of public speaking, not even an anxiety. And I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who said, most people would rather be at, at a funeral, they'd be, rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy because that's how terrifying <laughs> it is so to true. them, right? So he came to me because one of my specialities is I teach people presentation skills. I do courses and all that. So he thought, well, I'm going to deal with his presentation skills. I didn't. I did the trans-derivational search, the archaeological dig, and we found out that about the age of six years old, he was in first grade. And the teacher said, Johnny, come here, and handed him the storybook to read in front of the classroom. He wasn't that excited about reading in front of the classroom, but it was still okay. So he, he started reading, and then he stumbled because he didn't know a word, and he started stuttering, and he faltered. And then the class started laughing at him. And in that split second, he encoded this negative, distressing, humiliating event which became a memory, right? And he ran out of the classroom in tears, never wanted to come back. And there began this terrible journey. Now, the reason I use this story, because it illustrates the four components of the perfect storm of a trauma, and they are this event. So the event for him was standing in the classroom. Meaning, the meaning was, I am stupid, I can't read. And L is for landscape because it's E-M-L-I. So landscape. At the time, the landscape of his brain was very vulnerable. His father had lost his job. His parents weren't getting along. His father was home a little bit too much and there was lots of arguing. The socioeconomic situation changed in his world. And 
the I is for inescapability. He had to come back into that classroom the next day. So there it is. That is the perfect storm for any trauma. And if your listeners, viewers, think of something that they feel is traumatic to them, they will find those four elements in it. So what I did is I went back to his six-year-old self, and we did the event havening, and we de-linked, decoded the memory, and we did several other sessions to affirmational sessions to the empowerment side of it and the growth side of it. And I'm happy to say that he, he took the job and he's doing, he's doing really well. Now, that is not me being a magician. That is us working together. And it's finding the cause. That is the big part of it. Because without finding the cause, you have nowhere to go. And just to say something about the landscape, if that same thing happened to somebody that had a resilient landscape that their socioeconomic situation hadn't changed and everything was status quo in their family, they might not have had the same response to the children laughing. They would have just shrugged it off, put the book down and sat back down. And that is what we know about how important the neurochemistry of the brain is at the time we are confronted with something that is frightening or challenging to us. Does that make sense? Because I've that really makes, gone around no, a lot amazing. of stuff. No, it's amazing. That's the explanation that I wanted because it's um, from the outside looking in, like if you just did it here on camera, here, yeah, let me show you guys what this is like. Yeah, rub your face here. It's like, yeah. what? What is that shit? That's not going to do anything. So I think it really deserves some attention and that's why I'm just sitting here like, okay, go. Like, please, because it has such power, but it's sort of more power than meets the eye. You know, this is it. It's sim- so, many so simplistic yeah. looking, but it is so deep. And that's the beauty of neuroscience at the moment, because this is neuroscientifically based. And we, the tagline on it is better life through neuroscience. And the more we know about the brain, the better our skills are. We are honing our skills and we are getting more laser focused on what parts of the brain we need to focus on. So going back to my hand model, when the amygdala has been delinked and decoded and this memory has moved out, and now it's just like a distant memory to someone, the prefrontal cortex goes back around that situation and is now, and the light, I would say the light is now green, right? Using that as a metaphor. And our behavior changes. We don't flip out when we see a dog or someone says, I want you to stand in front of a room and speak. We're like, okay, I can do that. That's okay. I feel comfortable doing that. So we make better judgment. We run better behaviors and we just have a much better life. And what I love about this is that the big message here is you don't have to live in this pain and suffering. There is help. There really is help. And it is not painful help. I don't have to keep people in that traumatic event for more than 60 to 90 seconds, which I think is a very short period of time. And I believe you experienced that. You would agree with me. You don't have to stay there for a long period of time because it's what you're doing after that is making It's a lot shorter than like some of the I don't know what kind of, I forget this kind of therapy has a name, but where like you do like role playing, you know, say like Mm -hmm. you had an abusive dad that yelled at you, then like someone else in the group pretends like they're your dad and they yell at you and then you punch pillows and you're like, fuck you dad, you can't talk, you know, like I've been in some really like reliving trauma Mm -hmm. type therapies and who knows, they probably helped me. Maybe I would be worse off if I hadn't done that, but they tend to go on and on and on and you really have to like relive so much more of it. So what I liked about this is, that 
brief trip back there, so to speak, was really short. It's just like, yeah. let's just touch that we for a second. We yeah, let's just touch it to activate, activate it, it enough to like get in there and do some yeah. psychic surgery, which is super cool. And you've just reminded me of something that's quite important. Um, trauma has three faces. Uh, it has first-person trauma, second-person trauma, and third-person trauma. So, And that's why your story just reminded me of it. You, in a situation like you just described, are re- tra- being re-traumatized. Okay? So the difference is first-person trauma is something that you've actually been involved in, like the dog bit you or the dog came. Second-person tra- uh, trauma is something that you've seen happen to other people. And third-person is something you've heard about. And this happens a lot. People can tell you a story that can traumatize you. And we don't realize this at the time. Because let's say we're in a very vulnerable state. You know, uh, we, we've lost our job. And the landscape of the brain is so important to how we respond to information. So let's say we've lost our job or we've just broken up with the love of our life. We're going through a divorce. And we're very, very vulnerable. And trauma can very quickly sort of grab on, you know, a traumatic event, a, tra- a traumatic story can latch on to someone. So people don't even realize that they're being traumatized by stories they hear or by seeing something. I, a story I tell, two women standing on a corner at an intersection, and they both experienced the same, the same um, accident. No one died. Everybody's okay. But it was a pretty traumatic accident. Woman A goes home, her tells her husband partner he makes her a cup of tea or pours her a glass of wine and she talks about it and says she you know processes it and it's gone she goes to work the next day she crosses that same intersection and everything's fine woman b doesn't do that she's in a very vulnerable landscape her her personal life is not good or she's in a dead end job or whatever you want to the narrative of that story to be so she encodes that that experience quite differently and what happens to woman b and this is a metaphor because I've seen it happen, but I'll use it as a metaphor, is she begins to encode that and she can go from that moment to six months down the line not wanting to be in a car, right? Because she's generalized the trauma of that. So she avoids that corner. Then she avoids, she gets in a car and she starts getting really anxious about being in a car, right? And then she doesn't want to be in a car anymore. And then she stops driving a car because the meaning of that situation has been encoded differently for her. Wow. Yeah, and that's, it's pretty God, powerful that's awesome. how this happens. Yeah, there's some, it's a really deep well, this one. <laughs> it's like, it is. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love it because I love being part of watching people heal. Like what better thing is there? I've experienced that too in my own yep. way of just working with people and helping people and having been on both ends of it actually, but it's magical to like watch someone have a transformation before it your is. eyes. Yeah. And the beauty of my training is I can see it physiologically. So, right. Cause they're not usually aware of it. And what I do with clients, let's say I'm doing 12 sessions. So like in the sixth session, I'll go back to their intake questionnaire and I'll say, so how are we doing with that? How's, or how are you doing with that? Are you still bothered by that? And they're like, no, actually, that doesn't bother me anymore. And they, they're not even aware of how much progress they've made. So it's really good to bring their attention back to the changes that they have made and the improvements that they have made. That's fantastic. And I love that. I love it too. Yeah. And I think we covered 
everything. I think we at have, this and point. more. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't. It's funny. I haven't even like. I looked over at my little notes once. I'm like, I don't think there's going to be anything I said, Luke. You should have asked this or asked that. Like, we absolutely went very deep down the rabbit hole here, and I appreciate your willingness to go there with us. The way I look at it is if I get a guest in front of me, we might as well just extrapolate all of the knowledge and inspiration that is possible within that given time frame, and I feel we've done that. So thank you very much. We have, and uh, just to revert back to Deepak Chopra for a second. Yes, yes, yes. he met me and heard about this and invited me to be part of his, um, and this is, sorry, this is going to be close a couple loops here uh, quite nicely. I'm glad um, you remember the loops because sometimes I Oh, don't. I do. Um, well, one of the loops is that he met me and heard about Havening from me. I was introduced to him very fortunately. And he said I'd heard about it, but I never met anyone who did it. So he then invited me to be part of his digital wellness platform called Jio.com. So if, um, and I'm sure you'll put a link onto that. I have a channel on there called The Healing Haven. And I have about 35 two-minute videos that unpack havening and give you much more information. But what the real closing of loop here is, there is a mantra that we chant in Kundalini Yoga that uses the word, they say Jio. You can say Jio or Jio, but it's spelled J-I-Y-O. Yeah, yeah. when I started doing Kundalini Yoga, I had just met Deepak and I had just been invited onto this platform and I'm sitting there one day in this deep state of relaxation and there is the word geo and I was like, well, I just love those kind of messages. That's For cool. me, that was such a closing of loops and bringing things together and I thought I'm in the right place. That's awesome. Yeah, actually, I never made the connection between his platform and that mantra and I know exactly what you mean. Well, in Kundalini, they say... Yeah. Geo, don't Gio, they? Yeah, yeah. But and you can say either. Either is correct. Geo or Gio. Yeah, tomato, tomato. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so you've taught me like a million things today. I'm probably gonna have to listen to this three times to take it all in. You've taught our guests tons. You've been a great teacher. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced you in your life? Well, I must give a lot of credit to Dr. Richard Bandler, whether you like him or not, whether he's your kind of guy or not. He's taught me so many things. He's taught me to be curious, to be tenacious, to question things, to use my imagination and use my creativity. And the one thing he really taught me that I love the most is you never stop working with a client until you get the change that they need. You never stop. You never give up. I have an imaginary tool belt with lots of things in it, and I keep pulling things out. So so it might be havening, it might be NLP, it might be hypnosis, it might be something else entirely or a combination of all of them. But I never stop until I get them to where they need to go. And I would like more therapeutic interventions to have that destination and not just spend a lot of time talking to people. And I'm not discrediting anything. I'm just saying for me, that's what really works. Deepak has been a real inspiration to me and Deepak Chopra and I was following him before I met him so it's so fortuitous that I got to meet him and now work with him and be part of his journey of wellness I have most of his books and read and reread them so um, the new one is You Are the Universe I don't know if you're aware of that one it's a and my other favorite one is um, Super Genes because I'm really interested in epigenetics which is a whole other conversation which we can't have today so that's two and I would say I'm going to say this. I think there aren't enough women out there uh, that are sort of guru-like or that represent 
me as a woman in this field of self-development. So Marion Williamson is one of my big teachers. I agree. And yeah. I would love to be like, when I grow up, I want to be just her, like her. <laughs> her um, latest book, Tears to Triumph me too. over here. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I was just is. reading the chapter on relationships for spiritual evolution or whatever it's called, but it was on that. I was like, oh my God. She's in LA She's just, once a month now because she used to be here once yeah, a week. Yeah, right down the street. Yeah, and I go theater, to yeah. the Saban Theater if anybody's interested in yeah. seeing her. And please stay for the Q&A because that's where the real texture Oh, I love the, I like the prayer. I like the yeah. prayer and the meditation and then the Q&A is amazing. It is. Yeah, I learned so much in the Q&A. She's dialed She's in. She's so generous. She's dialed in. I want to manifest in this moment that someday she will be sitting where you're sitting and be a guest on the show. She'd love that. Yeah, she's one of my one of my goals because she just has so much to offer. And you're right; there's not a lot of women in that space. There isn't. Yeah, and that I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming anybody or saying this is a bad thing. I just think this is how it is generated. Yeah, because a lot of men started self help. You know, Bandler, Grinder, we and then it's it. been passed down to <laughs> Tony Robbins and Paul McKenna. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and people like that. And maybe you know, it's time for more women because we bring something different to the table absolutely if there's a balance and there's room for all of us yeah absolutely. and one of my favorite and i'll stop here but one of my favorite expressions is and i'm paraphrasing you never have to blow out someone else's candle to make your shine brighter right that's awesome and there's room for all of us that's great thank you so much for that thank you for allowing me to share this absolutely and in closing I want to allow you and encourage you to share it with more people so give us whatever links websites social media phone numbers anything you want to share and obviously we'll put those in the show notes as well sure if you want to follow me on Jaya or Geo it's all the W's dot J-I-Y-O dot com and if you go into the search bar or look under experts I'm the Healing Haven or Michelle Paradise you will find me there It's a subscription website, but it's very inexpensive, and it's full of great experts and lots of other things. It's uh, all the aspects of your life, healing, wellness, nutrition, all of those things. Uh, My personal website is, I wish I hadn't chosen such a long one, but it is, all the W's and the words, change your mind for good, because that's my message, that people can change their mind for good, all all letters, no numbers, dot com. And what was the other question? Have I covered uh, any social media or anything? Oh yes, I'm um, really enjoying being on Instagram. I am Mish Para, so it's two halves of my name, M I C H P A R A, and I do this thing now where I call it Takeaway Tip Tuesday. I put something on every day, but on Tuesday specifically, I do a one minute or less video tip because I love video. I think it's a very powerful medium to work in, and. Uh, I enjoy talking to my followers like that. And I have a Facebook page, Michelle Paradise, and my Michelle is spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E. My mother is, that was her choice, so you'd have to take it up with her. And Paradise, uh, just the way it sounds, P-A-R-A-D-I-S-E. And yeah, cool. I'm on awesome. Twitter, Michelle awesome. Paradise. And we also did Instagram Live and Facebook Live today for this podcast, and you were tagged on there as well. Thank so you. for the ones that stay live, you're easy to find by finding mine as well. So in closing, I just want to thank you so much for the enlightening conversation. It's been very inspirational and beautiful. And thank you so much for coming. I am delighted to be here. And I look forward to seeing you in another session and clearing you're up. You're going to see me very soon because <laughs> during this talk, I'm like, okay, about 15 issues came up. I'm like, oh my God, where do I start? 
but I'm all about healing and evolving, so I'm looking Just forward to it. Just one last thing, because of yeah. you mentioning that. What I want to say is with, about havening is sometimes you may have 15 things, and five of them can be collapsed in one session. Or not oh. one session, but with one type of intervention, because cool. they're related. And we don't know that going in. I you as the it. client don't know that going in. I love it. Right? I can't wait to so find So you can out. kind of knock them down, undo the scaffolding underneath them, and then they get cleared up. I'm excited. Right. Thank you so much, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Child, what an interview, right? If you're just catching part two and somehow your ass missed part one, I want to encourage you strongly to go back and catch part two. There was a lot of really valuable information about personal development and communication delivered by our guest, Michelle Paradise, in this double episode. Really fantastic stuff. You guys have no idea how cool it is to get to sit down and talk to such brilliant people like her and then share it with listeners like you. So thank you so much again for joining me. Do me, yourself, and the world a favor and share this podcast with a friend. The podcast is gaining momentum. More and more people are listening to it. I'm out in New York City right now and I'm meeting, I was actually in a um, sound bath a couple nights ago and afterward this woman comes up to me and she's like, hey, are you Luke Storm? I'm like, yeah, why? Are you with the IRS or something? <laughs> she's like, no, I listened to your podcast. I was like, how'd you know it was me? She said, because you talked and I heard your voice. I was like, oh, that's so cool, man. I'm able to share this message with so many people all over the world now and then I get to meet them, which is even cooler. So thank you so much for listening and, uh, and supporting the work that I'm doing. It's really fantastic that you're here with me. And speaking of supporting, how about you come back and see me on Tuesday where I interview my friend Evan Brand from the famous podcast, Not Just Paleo. It's a really fantastic show and I think you'll enjoy that one. So I'll, uh, I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.